Hey, New Spring, welcome. We're glad that you've gathered in your home with us today across the state of South Carolina and really all around the world as one of your pastors. Welcome. I'm glad that you were leaned in and we're ready to go. So we're in a series in the first part of the book of Revelation called Letters to the Church. And this is a series where we're looking 2,000 years into the past to see what Jesus had to say to the church that existed then and we're gonna hear him now speak to us through the scripture. So we're gonna start off today as we look at the church in Ephesus, and we're gonna read what Jesus had to say to the church in Ephesus 2,000 years ago, and then we're gonna let Jesus speak to us today because we're the church. We are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And so whether you are gathered in your home, whether you're watching by yourself in your bedroom or you're at a kitchen table with your family or whether you are somewhere with other believers, you are the church today. I am the church today. Let's open our hearts right now and let's let the spirit of the living God speak to us from the Bible as we read this scripture together Revelation chapter two, here is what the word of God says. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove the lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet, this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear to hear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So if you're taking notes, the title of this message is simply First Love. It's ironic for me, I'm preaching here in this room with a handful of people here, and I can look out in this room and I can see people I love. I can look out and I can see Pastor Dan Leanne. I can see Pastor Brad Cooper. I, I, I see Meredith Knox and Michael and Daniel Davis. But I, I look out and I see some people I love in a different way. I look out and I see my two children, Jacob and Joseph King. I love them. I would lay my life down for them. But there's one special person in this room right now, my first love, my bride. Her name is Shari and we celebrate 21 years together. She is my first love. So when Jesus says some things to the church in Ephesus 2,000 years ago regarding their first love, we can lean in. Married people can understand this. If you've ever been in love with someone, you can understand this. If you've ever been a parent, you know what love feels like. And I wrote this in my notes. Over time, it's easy for us to let duty replace devotion. 
over time, it's easy for us to drift away from devotion and into a place of duty. Let me give you a little bit of context on what we're gonna be talking about today, specific to the church of Ephesus in the city of Ephesus. When you think about Ephesus, think about a modern-day New York City. It was the center of commerce. It was the center of banking. It was a center of entertainment. It was also a center for knowledge. One of the world's largest libraries was there. As a matter of fact, the city of Ephesus is one of the most well-preserved ancient cities in the world. This is a picture that my wife took in 2016. My son is standing there, and this is a picture of the stadium in Ephesus, one of several stadiums that is still preserved today. And they say now that you can tell what the population of any ancient city was by looking at Roman stadiums that were left there because about 10% of the population of that city would fit in that stadium. So you can look at this stadium and realize this was a large cosmopolitan city. Also in the city of Ephesus is one of, still to this day, the most well-preserved historical landmarks. This is my family, and we were here in front of the facade of the library in Ephesus. This was a world-famous library, thousands upon thousands of volumes of books. And so Ephesus was proud of the fact that it was the center of knowledge and learning. Now, let me take you back through the scripture that we just read and point out a few things to you from Revelation chapter two, verses one through seven. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works. We're gonna talk about this for just a moment, your works. And I wanna point out to you from the very beginning that God was aware of the good things the church in Ephesus was doing for him. As a matter of fact, there are about nine good things that are mentioned here. Your toil, all right, that's a good thing. Your patient endurance, that's a good thing. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil. They would not tolerate uh, false teachings and false doctrines. Uh, You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. And you have found them to be false. The church in Ephesus was a thoughtful church. They were a church that loved the scriptures. They knew the story of Jesus passed on to them by the apostles. And they would not tolerate anyone who deviated from the good news of the gospel. I know you are enduring patiently. That's a good thing. And what else? You are bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. Look at all these wonderful things the church in Ephesus was doing. And God is so proud of them for these things. But God says, I have this against you, that you have abandoned your first love. You have abandoned your first love. And when God shows them this one thing that he has against them, he goes on to give them some commands. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I'll come to you and remove the lampstand from its place unless you repent. And then he goes on to say, yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, 
We will talk about that in a future uh, sermon in this series, which I also hate. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. What was God saying to that church then, and what does God wanna say to New Spring Church right now? What does God wanna say to you and to me right now? I wanna simplify it, I wanna break it down to a, to a, a size we can actually swallow, and here it is. God wants your heart. God wants us, all of us. So let me point out some things from this scripture that we can see. In this scripture, God commends their good works. Nine specific things they were doing. Pastor Tony Evans says it this way. They were a steadfast church. They were a separated church. They were a serving church. They were a sacrificing church. They were a suffering church. And these are all good things. I'm glad that our Heavenly Father commends us for our faithfulness. I'm glad that our Heavenly Father encourages us as a church and new as part of this body, as your brother and as one of your pastors, I wanna commend you. I wanna commend you on being gathered right now to be a part of our worship service together. I wanna commend you on continuing to live out the gospel, to continue giving and tithing so as a church we can continue serving the world. I wanna commend you on how you are struggling through, wrestling through, and finding joy through one of the most difficult seasons our world has experienced in this generation. I wanna commend you in that. God commends their good works, but God, because he loves them and because he loves us, he also has to correct their priorities. God is a God who is willing to correct us, not to condemn us, but to correct us, because he, when he corrects us, he corrects us for our own good. And this is a passage about priorities. It's a passage about getting things out of alignment and it's so easy for us to get there. That's why this word is so fresh for us today. But God does one more thing in these seven verses. God commands their repentance. God commands their repentance. He doesn't coddle them. He lovingly confronts them. And this is how we know, New Spring Church, that we are truly following Jesus Christ. That he commends us, but he also corrects us. Tim Keller says the way you know you're following the right God is that God will tell you you're wrong. He will contradict you. The way I know I'm following the true Jesus is that he shows up in my life and convicts me when I've stepped out of line or when my priorities have been misaligned. And that's what God does here and that's what God does for us. God commands their repentance by telling them you have done some good things, but you have forgotten the most important thing. And I wanna say it to you this way, hard work is not a bad thing, it's just not the main thing. Hard work isn't bad, hard work is commendable. Did you know that Adam and Eve were called by God to work in the Garden of Eden before they fell, before sin entered the world? Did you know that in the new kingdom of God, the new heaven and the new earth, I believe we will work, I believe we will have jobs, I believe that God has put creativity in us. Work is not a bad thing, it was there in the beginning, I think it will be in the new heaven and the new earth forever. Work is a good thing, it just can't be the main thing. Now let me get very, Confessional with you for a moment here in New Spring. I love to work. I'm good at it. 
I work hard. I grew up working. I grew up working from sunup to sundown most of, my most of my childhood and my adolescence. And work makes us feel good. Work gives us that, that dopamine rush of saying we've accomplished something. It's good to look at a task after you've completed it. But I wanna say to you, for me, I can get so caught up in work, I forget to worship. I can get so caught up in doing things for God, I forget to spend time with God. This is the same in married life. If you're a married man or a married woman, you know that when you first date each other, just think back, just think back to how silly and sappy and stupid you were when you fell in love. Think back to being on the telephone at night and, and your girlfriend or your boyfriend is, is across town or maybe on the other side of the state and you're talking to them, maybe it was in, in college or maybe after your first dating and you're just on the phone with them. This is when long distance cost money. This is when like cell phones didn't exist and you're on the phone and you don't wanna hang up and she doesn't wanna hang up and you're not even saying anything. You just wanna hear each other's breath on the other side. I'll hang up first. No, you hang up. No, I love you. I love you so much. I miss you. I'll call you tomorrow. I don't wanna hang up first. Let's count to three and both hang up on the count of three at the same time. When you were in love in the beginning, do you remember how you felt in your heart? And now you're 10 years into marriage, 21 years into marriage, 40 years into marriage, it's easy to let the daily grind of work become the thing you live for. And as a pastor, as a minister of the gospel, 35 years I've been loving Jesus, walking with Jesus, but I've also been working for Jesus for 35 years. And it's typical for me, it's typical. I wish it wasn't this way. But regularly, I will find myself at the end of a day realizing I've been on the phone with people all day, I've answered emails all day, I've responded to text messages all day, I've interacted with people's messages on social media all day, I've prepared sermons all day, I've been in meetings all day. Jesus, I haven't talked to you all day. That's what Jesus wants to correct in us. That's what Jesus wants to remind us of, not to make us feel guilty and condemned, but to remind us of how beautiful it is, how powerful it is to be connected to the heart of God, for God to have the emotion and the affection that he wired us to give to him and to feel for him. Work is not a bad thing, it's just not the main thing. It was ironic even this week as I was um, preparing with the teaching team this message, I got a phone call from a friend I haven't talked to him in eight years. As a matter of fact, as far as I know, the last time I talked to him was the day my dad died in uh, 2012. He called me out of the clear blue this week. And one of the reasons he called me was to let me know that two of our friends from college had abandoned the faith and they had left their first love, that they now consider themselves agnostics. And as he began to share with me their journey that they had told him about, both of these men, both of whom were in ministry, one of them I had done ministry with, if you traced it back in their life, it wasn't that they all of a sudden one day woke up and said, I don't love Jesus anymore. I don't believe in God anymore. It was a slow process of drifting away from the heart of God. And I like to say it this way. We don't suddenly leave our first love. We slowly lose it. It's like a tire with a slow leak that eventually goes flat. It's like a boat with a small hole that eventually takes on so much water that it begins to sink down to the bottom. These two friends of mine, brothers that I've loved for many years, 
They didn't just wake up one day and decide, I am an atheist now, God doesn't exist. It was a slow drifting process where things in life, even good things, even ministry work, began to pull them away from God. And when that daily intimacy with Jesus ends, when that daily time in God's word and prayer of just telling the Lord you love him, when that begins to dwindle, other things will fill that void. Other things will fill that vacuum. Hey, just honestly, I've had to ask myself, my wife and I have talked about this, our family's talked about this. With us not being able to gather the way we're used to, God has unveiled and revealed some things in my own heart about how I love Jesus and the things I have depended on to get me to a place of intimacy with the Lord. So this week I was sitting at my, at my desk early one morning and I was, um, had this notebook and I had my Bible out and I was praying that I would not lose my first love. I was praying that I would stay passionately devoted to Jesus and that I wouldn't drift away because of duty. And I sensed the Holy Spirit told me just to put my phone on airplane mode. I closed up my Bible. I, I, I closed up my preaching notebook and I just sat there at my desk where I usually sit for a little bit every morning and I just turned my hands up like this towards heaven. Just me and the desk. The sun hadn't even come up yet. And I said, Jesus, I love you. I just said it out loud. And right there in my office, I felt the tangible presence of God behind me whisper in my ear, I love you. And right there at my desk, I just became a 15-year-old again. Right there at my desk, it's 1988, and I'm going to a Petra concert where Carmen is opening for Petra. And I can't believe that I get to follow Jesus and that there are bands that sing about Jesus. And I'm, and I'm going to the Solid Rock Club at Hillcrest High School at 7 a.m. on a Friday morning because I've got friends at my high school that need to know the love of Jesus like I know the love of Jesus. And I'm a 15-year-old kid just punch drunk in love with Jesus. I don't care about getting paid. I don't even think about money. I don't think about career. I just know I'm gonna share the gospel today in my chemistry class because the love of Jesus is so powerful in me. It just overflows. Hey, if you've lost that, and I know I've lost that, you can get it back because Jesus hasn't left you. He's not gone. He hasn't moved. When I lose my iPhone and I put it down, I say I've lost my iPhone. I haven't lost my iPhone. It's right where I left it. I just don't know where it is in relationship to me. I'm telling you, if you've lost that first love, if it's been a decade since you felt that intimacy, that emotion, since you shed a tear or had the chill bumps come up on your arms, just tell Jesus. Just start. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Thank you for how you've saved me. Thank Thank you for how you've forgiven me. Thank you that you provide for me. Thank you that I can turn on a switch and lights come on. Thank you that I live in a house where cold air is literally blowing in my face when it's 98 degrees outside. Thank you that I have water, clean water to drink and I don't have to walk six miles round trip to get it out of a muddy water hole. Thank you that I can go to a store and buy food that someone else grew for me. Thank you for this country I live in where I can attend a service or watch. Thank you for technology that lets me connect with you right now as my church family watches from all over. Just start thanking him. Just start praising him. and You'll feel that joy bubble back up. It's why you need to go on dates with your husband and dates with your wife because over time it's easy to slowly drift away because we don't suddenly leave. We, we slowly lose it if we're not careful.
When Jesus said to the church in Ephesus, I've got one thing against you, you have abandoned your first love, I wanna show you what I believe he was referring to. This is the picture of Ephesus. I've been there twice, my family was there three, four years ago. This is the library, this is the main thoroughfare in Ephesus. And it goes to the library and it takes a hard right-hand turn. The library was here, it's still there today, at least the ruins of it. Did you know that men in Ephesus, this was a, a city with a temple to a goddess named Diana, it was a fertility cult. There was sexual perversion and an entire industry that surrounded that. And because of that, this was a city full of sexual sin. And men in Ephesus who were married to their wives, their first loves, men would tell their wives, I'm going to the library today, I'm gonna study. I'm gonna spend the day in the library getting educated. And historians tell us that these men would walk through these front doors to the library they would go to the back of the library where they would go into a secret doorway. That secret doorway would take them down a secret staircase. That secret staircase would then take them underneath the main road of Ephesus. And on the other side of the main thoroughfare in Ephesus was a brothel, and it was right over here. These men would enter into the brothel, and these men would stay in the brothel all day long, being entertained with wine and women, and all sorts of sinful activity. And when they were done, they would go back down the stairs underneath the main road, back into the library, out the front door, they would go back home to their wives and their children. So when Jesus says to the church in Ephesus, you've done so many good things and I'm proud of you for them, but I've got one thing I need to correct you on. You've left your first love. Here's what Jesus was saying to them and what Jesus is saying to us. Do not ever go after anything with more passion than you go after me. Do not ever pursue anything with more affection than you pursue me. Do not ever leave me because I'm your real first love. I know what the men in Ephesus do. They pretend like they're going to the library, but they wind up in a brothel. That's a dead end road. Everything you could pursue besides me is just as meaningless as those relationships with prostitutes in the Ephesus brothel. Do not do that. Come back to me, stay with me. I'm your first love and I will treat you better than any other love you could pursue and I will make, keep every promise I've made to you. It is for your own good that you stay committed to me first. So I'll leave you with this thought. What God wants most from you is your heart. What God wants most from me is my heart. Don't drift with the currents of this world. Don't, don't get so consumed with Fox News or CNN or Facebook or your favorite talking head. Don't get so worried about politics or sports or the disruption to the rhythms of our life that you forget ultimately our hope, our faith, our joy is in the resurrected Son of God who loved us and has the scars to prove it. That's where our hearts belong. And when I can't gather on Sundays with my big church family, I know that I can have a connection to Jesus in his heart. 
And when the rhythms of my life are disrupted and things become difficult, I know that just like taking a walk with my wife on a, on a Saturday afternoon or a Wednesday morning will help the two of us connect to each other emotionally. Spending time with Jesus in worship and prayer connects me with the one I love the most. And so I wanna invite you right now as you listen to the Spirit of God speak to you. Is it time for you to come back to your first love? Is it time for you to say, Jesus, I'm sorry, I repent. I recommit, I rededicate my life to you. Or maybe it's time for you to meet your first love for the first time. Maybe while I've been preaching, um, the Spirit of God has stirred your heart and you know that you need to give your life to Jesus. And so if that's you and you are ready, I just wanna pray with you before we continue in our worship together of Jesus. Would you, wherever you are, would you just close your eyes and open your hearts to the Lord? And I wanna invite you to call on his name. Talk to him, he's listening, he's there with you right now. Talk to Jesus. Just say this to him. Jesus, I love you. I'm sorry if I've left you, even for a moment. I repent of pursuing anything else. And I return to you, Jesus. Restore the joy of my salvation. With your eyes closed and your hearts open, if you have never given your life to Jesus and you are ready to meet your first love for the first time, pray this to him right where you are. Jesus, I need you desperately. I know that you love me and I receive your love. I repent of my sin. I invite you into my heart. Save me right now. Jesus' name. Hey, if you just prayed one of those prayers, you need someone to pray with you or for you, just do this. Text the word CARE to 30303. Our pastoral team and our staff, we, we would love, we would be thrilled to help you. That's what we do. We wanna help you take your steps in following Jesus. So just text the word CARE to 30303 and let us help you Stay committed to your first love, Jesus Christ. I'm gonna pray for you before we continue to worship. Jesus, we wanna say right now out loud, collectively, spread out but gathered in the spirit, you are our first love and you are the best love. And we love you, we thank you, we praise you that you never leave us even when sometimes we forget you are our first love. Help our church to be passionate about you first, Jesus, so that the world can see what true love really looks like. In Jesus' name.